Thank you for listening to Papercut Podcast, bringing you evocative interviews with local creatives every week from hometown heroes to hidden gems. Brought to you by the West End Cultural Center, the best place to see live music in Winnipeg for over 30 years. Welcome to Paper Cup Podcast. My name is Sherry Goche. I'm Olivia Michaelchuk, and we're here with Harry Staphylakis. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, uh, my name is Harry Staphylakis, or my proper Greek name, Haralobos Staphylakis, which is way too long for people to handle. Um, I'm a composer based in New York City, um, and I've had the fortune in the last four years of spending a fair bit of time in Winnipeg, working with the Winnipeg Symphony as composer in residence and as co-curator of the Winnipeg New Music Festival. So as the co-curator of the Winnipeg New Music Festival, what what is your role? We'll start there. Sure. Um, well, I work with, uh, I co-curate with Daniel Reiskin, uh, the artistic director of the or- uh, of the festival and music director of the orchestra, uh, whom you had on your podcast yeah. back in uh, September, I think. Yeah, we had the pleasure. Lovely episode that was. Um, so uh, he and I work together and separately in terms of Im- imagining uh, what each edition of the festival might look like. You know, we're usually looking at least ahead, uh, one year ahead, uh, though we also tend to plan something, some projects at least, you know, two or three years ahead even. Um, and yeah, we... we congregate uh, every so often and we're emailing each other constantly uh, with ideas and plans and shape together this seven day you know contemporary music festival or at least seven day festival um, that has is now in its 29th year um, and has become a pretty uh, like a hallmark of the contemporary music scene in North America certainly is one of the biggest contemporary music focused festivals uh, and is pretty well known outside of Winnipeg, which I realize a lot of Winnipeggers don't seem to realize how much of a, an important kind of cultural edifice the Winnipeg New Music Festival is. Yeah, and and when you said 29th year? 29th year, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's expensive. No it was I, founded in 1992. First edition was 1992 when Bramwell Tovey was the music director and a composer in residence with Glenn Buer. Um, wow. Yeah, so next year is going to be the 30th. Yeah, that's so gonna that's going to be a big project. That's Obviously, gonna you're big. already working on that, I would imagine. Yeah, we're, yes. I can't say yeah, much about it. Yeah, you can't it, say too, too much, I get it. <laughs> it's very close to being uh, complete, and uh, we had a... Last night uh, and the night before at the Winnipeg Symphony concert, uh, we had a, the official announcement of the 2021 season, which included a couple of the highlights from the New Music Festival, including the fact that Evelyn Glennie is coming back and she's one of the uh, kind of stars of the New Music world and Winnipeg loves her. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. So how long have you been involved with the uh, New Music Festival? Well, as long as I've been in composer in residence, these are like integrated aspects of the job, so to speak. Um, So I started officially in September 2016 uh, when Alexander Micklethwaite was uh, still music director. Uh, Although Alexander and I and Matthew Patton had started working together from the February 2016 on planning the 2017 festival, which was my first festival uh, with the orchestra. So this is the fourth year. What is contemporary music? Yeah, there's so many problems with the nomenclature in the in this industry. It's the one that you used, so <clears throat> yeah, contemporary music. <laughs> I gotta I gotta uh, ask you. Contemporary music, new music, uh, art music, classical music. These all essentially mean the same thing. Um, contemporary music or new music are more or less interchangeable, at least in North America. Meaning, art music or classical music or concert music made by living composers or recently living, something to that yeah. effect. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, but of course there's so many problems with that because if you take the words apart, music and contemporary, there's no reason why they should be indicating a narrow kind of genre, a single genre of music, but that's what it is. Okay, so uh, what are some of the highlights of the festival this year? Of, of, how- of this festival, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, that starts on Saturday, uh, this Saturday, which should be in a yeah, couple days be from coming when people out just are before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we have a, a four orchestral concerts kind of spread out throughout the week between uh, January twenty fifth and thirty first. Uh, among them, uh, we have uh, two distinguished guest composers this year. Uh, both of them happen to be American: uh, Michael Doherty and uh, Sarah Kirkland Snyder. So we have a, f- a few works. Uh, for, uh, two big works from each of these composers. Um, on the opening night, both of them will have pieces, a violin concerto called Fire and Blood by Michael Doherty, which is this really virtuosic, fiery piece of music uh, inspired by the Diego Rivera murals. Um, and uh, also, uh, we're going to be closing the night with uh, Sarah Kirkland Snyder's Hiraith, a really beautiful piece that... Um, is both for orchestra and film, with a film made by Mark DeCaza, a New York City filmmaker, who's going to be in town kind of running the, the film because it, it, it sinks with, with the music rather than the music sinking to the film. Um, oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. interesting yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of modular in that way. Like so a, the mo- filmmaker a music has to video. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah narrative and integrated with a musical theme. Um, and uh, the second night is Sarah Kirkland Snyder's uh, song cycle Penelope. She had uh, released this album with uh, Shara Nova, who's also known as My Brightest Diamond, a singer-songwriter uh, in New York, who um, they released this album that's kind of a cross between kind of contemporary classical music and indie rock. Um, okay. Very awesome uh piece of music, it's an hour-long thing. Um, and uh, uh, Tigran Hamasian is uh, one of our guest artists. Uh, you guys might know him. He's a uh, internationally renowned jazz composer slash pianist. Uh, although calling him jazz is kind of reductive in that he kind of crosses the boundaries between jazz, classical, metal, and Armenian folk music. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so he and his trio are going to be performing a, a full concert on a Thursday night. Uh, and we'll also be joining the orchestra on the Wednesday program uh, to do an orchestral arrangement of one of his pieces for trio and orchestra uh, amongst the other orchestral repertoire that evening. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Do you want me to just list out everything? No, no, I, I mean, know, like, those are some of the good. highlights, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely. a lot of yeah. highlights. And uh, certainly Michael Doherty's, like, the closing piece on the closing night on the, of the festival on the 31st is uh, the Metropolis Symphony, uh, which is uh, his ode to the Superman comic book mythos. Um, oh. And is like this epic monumental. It's got to be epic and monumental. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you would guess that Massive would be massive symphonic work. That if you heard it and didn't you know the titles of the movements or anything, they're named after characters, and uh-huh. um, you'd think, well, this is just a huge piece of classical music. And he's really building this kind of myth or building the musical uh, enunciation of this comic book mythos that's such an integral part of American culture. So when you have these events uh, that are going to be going on, is it something that the artist has already constructed or are they building this idea with you and a team of other people? How how does that come? Oh, right. Great question. uh, So generally, in broad strokes, the programming focuses on 
works on the individual pieces that somehow work together thematically uh, in terms of instrumentation, etc., etc., uh, and that of course Daniel and or I think are awesome pieces of music that Winnipeg needs to hear. Uh, so it's very work focused in that sense, um, and so a, most of the repertoire will tend to be existing works, uh, commissioning pieces of. Orchestral music certainly is an expensive proposition, and we do as much as we can. We'll typically have uh, two to four commissions a year. Why is it expensive? Uh, well, why is it expensive? Huh? I guess we'd have to break or down the mechanics of the industry. You, I think you. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said, "Of course, it's an expensive thing." But oh, like, yeah, why, why? Of course, like I don't know anything a, about okay. that. Okay, that's a. Good we question. get okay. deep on this podcast. That's the, Good. the point. That's the slogan. Yeah. <laughs> we have a slogan. It's true. And there's, of course, things that any of us would take for granted about our own industries that uh, oh, yeah, is not course. necessarily general knowledge. Uh, to, uh, commissioning a, a, a work from a composer. Let's take an example of, in Canada, the, a typical uh, type of piece that an orchestra might commission from a living composer, from a Canadian composer, would be a 10 to 15 minute opener kind of piece. Typical classical orchestra program is an opening piece, relatively short, up to 20 minutes. Uh, then a concerto, so a slightly bigger piece that has a soloist, uh, a violin soloist, a pianist, something like that, as well as the orchestra. Uh, then there's an intermission, and then the big work, usually a symphony or some equivalent of that. Um, and because... A, Working with a, presenting contemporary music, a piece by a living composer, is usually a tricky proposition. Most symphony goers are accustomed to Beethoven and Mozart and the great composers of uh, 200 years ago and don't necessarily know the state of current music industry and the art music industry. Uh, and so living composers don't necessarily draw as many people into the seats. Uh, and of course, orchestras have big halls and a lot of seats to fill. Uh, so typically, uh, you know, a, a 10 to 15 minute piece is what will get commissioned from a living composer. And that represents anywhere between two months to a year of work, depending on how the composer. Wow, works. that's incredible. I mean, imagine with the Winnipeg Symphony, which is a, a relatively large orchestra, but not a large orchestra yeah. uh, that we have 67 people and uh, players in the core ensemble and then it's expanded depending on certain pieces uh, that's 67 simultaneous musical parts that have is to there be 60, 67 different sh sets of sheet music there's no members that are playing the same sheet at the same time. Yeah, it, it kind of lumps together. So uh, the, there's uh, all the violins, for instance, there's 23 violins in the, in the Winnipeg Symphony, uh, and they're broken up into 12, and, uh, 12 first violins and 11 second violins. Yeah. So they have more or less the same music, but even that, it gets divided into the upper part and the lower part. Sometimes mm -hmm. it could get super divided into individual players in a piece like a Ligeti's Atmosphere, where the entire orchestra, everybody has their own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and either way, I mean, it's such micromanaged style of music. It's very composer-centric. Um, generally, a composer isn't there in a performance, or often isn't. So every single nuance, is it a short note, a, a long note, a medium short note, how loud, how soft, how medium, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's just an insane num number of details that all have to be decided before the composer hears a note. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So the amount of time that it takes to get from just brainstorm idea, here's a nice tune or a cool chord progression or a neat rhythm to ultra refined, hyper controlled finished product with, you know, whatever, 50 different parts and, and so on. Um, and still trying to make it art and not right, exactly. lose your mind. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. It's smokes. still creative wow. and you're not bogged too bogged down in the details, but it's still total. Yeah. Anyway, all of that to say. That's a huge amount of work, a big time investment, a diff- big mental and psychological investment. So there's the, of and course, it's expensive. To make money. Of, so, yeah. of course, it's yeah. expensive. <laughs> you know, in Canada, there's a Canadian League of Composers that publishes a, a schedule of commissioning rates that's a suggested minimum value per minute of music. That is interesting. Per minute. Per minute wow. of music based on the size of the ensemble. So, say, a, a piece so for. So you can just like. Line it up like a chart, like exactly. yeah, there's like a sliding scale kind of three deal. to four individual parts. Uh, something like I checked it out recently. I don't know. It was something like four hundred and seventy-five dollars per minute of music, right? So right. You know, ten minute pieces, yeah. forty-seven hundred dollars, et cetera, et cetera. With orchestra, it's a fair bit more. Yeah, and so on. yeah. And that's the minimum, so that doesn't take into that's account great that career that positioning and so like on. Like a standard, yeah. There's a standard rate. It does it? This might sound like. My my cheap Winnipegger self, but is there a discounted rate if you go for X amount of time? Say we're gonna commit thirty minutes. Right. Would would you get a bit of a discount if you committed <laughs> some more time? We'll give you another ten yeah. minutes if we can knock it down a, a yeah, yeah. or something. I mean, I haven't been following the CLC rates much since I've been based in the U.S. for the last nine years. At, but as I recall, I think there's even some proviso in there, something like. Anything above 20 minutes is negotiable. What does that mean? Does that mean you get a discount yeah. or there's a surcharge? Oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. that much more work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It and could be more expensive. In my experience, it could go either way. So but It's like yeah. art, not like a Big Mac meal. I guess, there. yeah. It's like chill out <laughs> yeah, on the, doesn't like, make sense. Cutting composer short. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I get your art for cheaper? Please. I buy more of it. But yeah. I mean, these, these are suggested <laughs> things. It's not like, it's not a union. So it's yeah, not, yeah, nobody's right. beholden to that. Except that the it's Canada just a Cal- league, right? It's a league. It's just a league. It's a league, not yeah. a union. Which <laughs> um, sounds way cooler. By but the, way. the arts councils, like the Canada Council for the Arts, the Manitoba Arts Council, and so on, refer when you're writing an application for a grant, a commissioning grant, they do say use the, that as a reference point. Oh, okay, interesting. So it is somewhat formalized in that way, right? Um, we can go back to what we were talking about yeah, before. What were we talking about? So you were talking about you're like we. I oh, can't yeah. remember what your question was. We were was, talking about the programming and exactly. whether it's yes. the most existing stuff or yes. new stuff. Uh, so it's mostly existing stuff that, uh, hence curate, you're putting together existing works for yeah. the most part uh, that create some kind of narrative that highlight a variety of creators from different demographics and parts of the world and backgrounds and so on. Um different styles, different aesthetics, different moods. Uh, and we commission as much as possible. And in that, I mean, in general, when commissioning works in the classical world, um, you don't give much by way of guidelines. It's not like write a piece that's specifically about this mm-hmm. and it should feel like this. But what's One the... might give a general theme, like it, it would be great if you could address this, but... Right, right. Well, and what would you say? So, do you give them a narrative, like you had mentioned, to try and follow? Sometimes, sometimes just keywords. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Sometimes, uh, often it's helpful to know what else is programmed 
on on the same concert. So this doesn't apply as much for the new music festival, but for kind of regular season uh, concerts with an orchestra, you might tell them this one's going to be like um, I had a big premiere with the WSO in October. Um, on a Masterworks concert, and that was, I was told in advance, that would be programmed alongside Rachmaninoff's uh, Symphonic Dances. Happened to be a work that I knew very well, but even if I didn't, I could go and listen to it for, you know, a few days and get it into my ears and imagine what I might do to respond or introduce a a piece like that. Interesting. So it's just going to be complimentary to that. Complimentary or contrasting or negation of? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Some kind of response or anti-response. Interesting. When you're talking about keywords, are there ever times where you just give a keyword? And what would what yeah. would an example of a keyword be? Uh, okay, so uh, you know, for uh, last uh, last festival, the 2019 festival back last January was uh, because of certain. Well, this kind of answers your previous question as well, because besides individual works and composers, there's also certain artists we just want to feature that come with their own, you know, Tigran Hamasian in the case of uh, the, this festival uh, last year was Animals as Leaders, the progressive metal band, because I'm a metalhead and like that needs to be put in front of people. That's new music too. Uh, so knowing that once we had Animals as Leaders booked, essentially it was confirmed, uh, then we could start extracting certain keywords, metal being one of them. Uh, the cold of Winnipeg, we ended up having an outdoor concert and, you know, on January 25th, on the frozen river mm, in, yeah. ice, in an ice amphitheater <laughs> and it was sold out. So ice and, and accepting and uh, living with the Winnipeg winter became one of the themes of the festival. Uh, there were some works that addressed space and cosmology in some ways. So these things seem to t- tie together to, to us. The idea of cold metal cosmic grandness. There was a kind of... Uh, a sharpness to the vibe of that festival and some of the works that uh, we ended up programming were ended up focusing on that. Uh, This year it's more about fire, warmth, hearth, family, belonging. These are some of the key words that we would have given to. So what are some of the musical responses to some of those keywords that come to your mind? Because really, I, I mean, I can say warmth and then someone plays something and I could be, I can't say like, oh no, that's not warm at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like any, it's it's your interpretation of those things. So what absolutely, specifically but, you know, it, we're, do you we're think also of? not like checking boxes? Yeah, like, no, yeah, exactly. totally got it's that warm. sound. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so that's, I'm not saying yeah. yeah. Well, that's very family oriented. <laughs> yeah. But what are some of your responses to those keywords, personally? Um, like you mean musically? Yeah. Or is it just like they've already produced it? So could you even say this isn't what we're looking for? Or is it just this is what you've got, and now you've got. Oh no! No, once a work is commissioned and programmed, yeah. it, it happens, un- unless there's a major disaster, which hasn't happened in my time. With, right, not going to. Yeah, yeah. But I do yeah. want to know. I do. I do want to know your response to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I'm thinking, like, like major key stuff. You know, like make make you feel good, sort of things. Like that's how I would f- respond to that. Sure. Uh, well, you know, if I were given words like warmth, home, hearth, identity, fire, um, I would probably not do something that's particularly friendly, but that's not my style anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd probably try to, a a lot of my work will start by being very conceptual, so I'll start just 
thinking about what those words mean to me. Uh, you know, I, I might explore the idea that I'm a kind of, and I felt this for a long time, a person without a home, without without a place of belonging. I right. grew up in a family of Greek immigrants in a Greek household in an Italian suburb of French Canada and have immigrated oh, to New York. That's a melting pot and am a composer and resident in Winnipeg. And it's kind of like, where do I belong? I don't quite feel at home in Montreal. I don't have family in New York and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this might be a line of thinking, of reasoning that I right. might pursue in crafting a piece. So like getting to know a composer <laughs> when you see the word family and it not feeling as as joyful as you would imagine, then you learn something about the composer. Yeah, some kind of isolation, existential right. crisis. I don't right. know, something to that effect. Uh, disassociation, uh, maybe the bursts of warmth that come from the the, the little spot uh, highlights of one's life of having a close friend and yeah, grabbing a beer together at the pub and feeling like this is a beautiful thing that right, right. is kind of missing a little bit in the life of being a traveling musician living in New York. Yeah. Interesting. That yeah. is yeah. interesting. Hmm. Oh, I should write great this piece question, now. Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great job. Wow, I did a great job with that question. <laughs> and then, of course, there's fire in there, so I'll make sure that there's a lot of fiery metal-like stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. You brought metal up a few times, and I want to talk about um, metal and its connection to, uh, like, I don't know, complexities of music or classical music. Mm. I just want you to talk about metal a little bit. Okay. Like why are, you are like you, it so much. You, you said you're a metalhead. Familiar head. with metal? I'm not a huge metalhead. I've listened to it. It's it's not my go-to genre though. Uh, uh, my my boyfriend listens to metal every so often and when I do listen to it, it is so impressive. Oh, it is it's incredibly okay. impressive. Yeah. Just the like complexity uh-huh. and the um it's just so tight. There's it's a lot of so crossovers, correct? Like to classical music and and metal music in terms of like I, musicianship. You know, I think so, but it's also you know the kind of metal I listen to, I and the so, kind yeah. of classical yeah. I listen to. But that that was an interesting response that you had, Liv, about uh, what you said, tight. Yeah. yeah. So often I've known many people, you know, people even close to me who I subject to the kind of stuff that I love, and if they're not already accustomed to the sound world of metal, which is very alienating to a non-adept typically even with refined musicians I've done those classical musicians their response is is just what am I supposed to be listening to it seems like a lot of noise what's the focal point and it's hard for me to imagine because I got into metal I don't know when I was maybe 12 or 13 I started getting into it Um, and so the sonic barrier my brain is attuned to the noise and looks past it and I'm hearing the music the instrument uh, instrumental virtuosity, it's out of the compositions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, like, well, obviously in this part, you're listening to this guitar riff. Listen to that low part that goes, you know, uh, here's the drum part. Check out the hi-hat fill, you know, in between beats three and a half and 4.25. Um, <laughs> yeah, so progressive metal in particular, which is a subgenre of metal, is the most kind of classical and jazz oriented uh, and most overtly virtuosic uh, in many ways, both compositionally and in terms of instrumentation. And tightness is such a key thing with metal. That's really the kind of thing that, you know, people say, oh yeah, I like Led Zeppelin. Like, that's not metal. That's hard rock. And there's an essential difference, musical difference, putting aside lyrical content and vocal style is that rock is more of a kind of loose vibey kind of music Mm -hmm. and metal is this hyper controlled hyper articulated um 
degree of tightness coordination, ensemble coordination. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I prog rock, prog metal. What makes it like? What makes it cross that line and become progressive? Okay. Yeah. Uh, How would you define that? Yeah, but progressive metal is essentially yeah the uh, an offshoot or a child of progressive rock. Uh, what makes it prog can vary for different people. Um, I've had many discussions about this uh, online and in person. For many, it's um, that somehow it pushes boundaries, that uh, it breaks the mold of pop song and rock song format of verse, chorus, Mm. verse, chorus, bridge, chorus kind of thing, Uh, that the lyrics are maybe more political or philosophical or something like that. I find none of those elements to be particularly interesting to me as differentiators of genre or markers of what progressive means, uh, largely because much pop music does that. Do we call it prog pop? I guess Imogen Heap and Stephen Wilson are prog pop in that (laughs) sense. Um, But of course, I am a composer with lyric blindness. I don't hear lyrics. So to me, it's very musical thing that there is a high degree of metrical dissonance, which is multiple... (laughs) Grooves, rhythms, time streams that are playing at the same time, that are active at the same time, mm-hmm. and creates a, a, a musical version of cognitive dissonance. Of it's groovy, you can bang your head to it, but something feels kind of diagonal, right. disorienting. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so if you think of like even you know some of uh, Tool is a progressive, yeah, right. is a more mainstream right. one, but like one of the big hits, right. whenever was Schism. Which yeah. it's like a twelve-minute song, right? It's a twelve-minute yeah. song, so they cover that. Yeah, twelve-minute yeah. song, <laughs> not easy f- to follow form. It's kind of a meandering, uh, modular, evolving form. Uh, but the rhythms are kind of disorienting, and it's hard to tell what is the groove. Like, what time is this even in? It's not in four-four. It's actually in seven-something. But the version of seven changes every so often depending on what Maynard is singing over that part versus this part. And so, so rhythmic aspects and metric, like the control of time is particularly erudite and complex in that style of music. Uh, there's a higher degree generally or focus on instrumental virtuosity. The guitars, the bass, the keys, the drums, the vocals will tend to push what is realistic for instrumentalists to do. So, you know, I, I taught guitar for many years and anytime a student would get sufficiently advanced, if they didn't already come in wanting to learn to play metal guitar, they eventually did like, how, how can I play Dream Theater? Because that stuff's awesome. Um, at, there's something about it that really challenges our physicality, uh, the recorded medium, the fact that uh, it's in, produced in a highly controlled environment allows metal artists uh, to create this really uh, manicured, curated uh, I- ideal of what human performance can be like, but then they have to reproduce that live, so their chops have to be actually at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is great. Uh, one of my favorite progressive metal bands that ever, only ever released one album, Spiral Architect, a Norwegian band, released one album in 1999 called The Skeptics Universe. It took them five years to rehearse the album to record it. Wow. That was a particularly extreme example of progressive metal to the extent that they decided, let's call this technical metal because it's that much further than progressive. But there's some of that ethos in that stuff. Mm -hmm. To wrap this up a little bit. Yeah, sure. I was trying to think of the question that would wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) I realize I'm going down the rabbit hole here. but No, and it's excellent, though, because... If you have metal type music or performers at, that are at this festival, then this is just more yeah more 
uh, education behind enjoying that type of well everything thing so. that i just said about it is very much the case with animals as leaders which is the band who performed at the festival last year and even performed with the orchestra I did a huge arrangement of their music that they performed with the orchestra um and the response was from the orchestra from the audience members was very much like whoa what is this and then oh wow this is like they are really good mm-hmm. like just incredible musicianship um anyway so yeah to wrap that up because you brought up a little crossing point maybe of metal and classical why would someone like me be active as a classical composer but call himself a metalhead to me they're essentially the same thing in terms of the 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 ethos that a composer or a metal songwriter might have Uh, the complexity control idealization of human abilities of what is possible to be done with music Mm -hmm. um Impact, just like the massive sound that you get from a symphony orchestra is not far off from the massive sound you get from, you know, a Bob Rock production of a Metallica song that's supposed to feel like this wall of sound, but still very controlled and clear and, you know, synthesized. So to me, there's, they're part and parcel. They're two sides of the coin of who I am as a person, as a musician. So... Okay, I have one more question yeah, about, about the metal. Um, so, you said you t- <laughs> so you said you taught guitar for, for years. Yeah. Did you ever play in a metal band? I did, yeah. Though. Okay. <laughs> just quickly tell us the yeah, name. I guess I should say, uh, yeah, I wasn't just a fanboy, yeah. Um, yeah, how did you, let's let's maybe step back a bit to sure. your being a musician up into being a composer. Yeah, if you could take us a quick journey through that. Nothing I do is quick, guys. Okay, all right. Let's just zip through it. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I started uh, as a, a piano player. I started with the piano. I can only go by what my mother says because there was no Google Calendar in 1986 or 87, but around three or four years old. Uh, so I grew up playing classical music, listening to Greek music, listening to, you know, golden oldies pop music on the school bus. So there was this mishmash of <laughs> uh, stuff. My grandfather, the only professional musician in my family was my grandfather who lived with us. He was a clarinetist, uh, Greek traditional music. Uh, one of my earliest memories is sitting at his feet. I'm a, he died when I was two, but I remember sitting at his feet regularly listening to him practice and, you know, pointing at things on the clarinet and having him explain what they were. Anyway, I so I ended up picking up the piano at three or four, did that for many years. Uh, I was never particularly interested in piano as an instrument. I didn't want to be a pianist. I hated doing scales and arpeggios and that kind of stuff. Like the technique of the instrument didn't uh, do anything for me. But the music was, I was all about the music. From the early days playing Bach and Mozart and Beethoven and Chopin and that kind of stuff. into increasingly epic music. So when we first went on a school trip to see the Montreal Symphony play Beethoven symphonies, I was kind of, whoa, this is what classical music can be when it's just not me with my little hands at the piano. Um, Which a few years after that, so by the time I was 13, I started discovering rock music, grunge, alternative, Came into Nirvana and Bush and Soundgarden and that kind of stuff and decided, I guitar, obviously guitar. Yeah. Because that's more like Beethoven now. It's bigger and ep- more epic and heavy. It's cool. <laughs> and, and it's, it's cool. cool. <laughs> it's cool. So, uh, yeah, that definitely was a factor. Um, and then Metallica <laughs> and so on. Uh, so, yeah, I started uh, learning guitar. Turns out, if you already re- can play advanced classical music at the piano, guitar's really easy to pick up. Uh, so, I... <laughs> Uh, learned in a couple of years, started teaching and forming bands uh, and started playing me- uh, with bands around 15. Yeah. Uh, do you remember your first band? I do remember. Oh, no. I don't remember the name. 
Might have been Broken Union. What a terrible, that's oh, such no. a 90s Union. Uh, Montreal metal band name. Um, so metal names are always the most interesting band names. Yeah. Like it, of any genre, it's just the most unique. I love them. <laughs> they can so get interesting for sure. Excuse me. Um, yeah. Uh, so did that low, low key for a while, but took it. I took it very seriously. I, uh, built my chops. Worked with increasingly better musicians, more advanced musicians, more dedicated musicians. Uh, kept updating the band or reforming the band or joining another band, taking that over and reforming it in my image along with my uh, my songwriting partner who I discovered Just consistently in curating. Yeah, right yeah. off the bat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, worked with really some amazing musicians. You know, by by the time I was twenty, uh, my main band was uh, Faces of Horizon, and but like it was really just stellar musicians. Uh, you know, now they're off playing with other bands and touring the world and whatnot. Um, and sometime, yeah, I was about twenty three, twenty four, where I started getting an itch. I started kind of trying to. Co- I learned how to compose just by writing metal songs, working with my songwriting partner. Uh, and eventually it felt like I had hit a certain wall, um, a creative wall, because even then I was so bit into the like the big epic progressive metal stuff. I was trying to write stuff that was for metal band and orchestra, but I had no idea how to write for orchestra. So I was like, oh, let me go back to my piano stuff and like analyze and see if I could figure it out. I'd never done music theory and realized I don't have the chops to analyze the Moonlight Sonata, which is a relatively simple piece of classical music. Um, I remember on the, I was on a bus once like with the score of the Moonlight Sonata trying to figure out like to analyze how it's functioning harmonically. And it, didn't really know what I was doing. And somebody from over my shoulder must have been like a university student, music <laughs> music student. I was like, that's a five chord. That's a five. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means. So I decided, <laughs> time to go to college. Interesting. Let yeah. me finally learn about this music theory stuff that I've been avoiding uh, <laughs> to refine my chops, maybe focus on classical guitar for a little while. That'll make me a better electric guitarist. Um, so I enrolled, uh, went to McGill University and uh, it realized this is kind of more fun partly because of the dynamics. Like I don't have to negotiate with a band. I don't have to run a business. Basically I don't have to uh, compromise my artistic decisions. Like I get to just be the megalomaniacal composer that we all are to some degree. (laughs) Um, Whatever I write is what the ensemble plays. That's amazing. So I kind of fell in love with that, left the metal world altogether uh, and just decided to channel those creative instincts through that. Um, Went through a more or less traditional, at that point, uh, composer trajectory, even though I was too old for it. So I started college when I was 24 uh, in music and composition, uh, graduated from McGill, ended up in New York for grad school, uh, and then kind of dropped grad school because I was writing too much music, didn't have time for it, and here I am. You dropped out of grad school. I'm officially on leave of absence for my doctorate. Yeah, Doctorate? I got to ABD, all but dissertation, but I... Dissertation just takes too much time and work. And what's a dissertation for a PhD? Well, my program uh, at the City University of New York, it's a substantial document, uh, a theoretical or musicological document. Oh, so it's not uh, like a, a piece of. No, unfortunately, because. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> you yeah. know, <laughs> I have a lot of stuff that I could submit for that. Yeah. But no, I'd have to, you know, spend a good six months at least doing nothing but writing words about somebody else's music and I don't have time to do that right, right. now. You're not that, about other people's music. 
Even though just kidding. Like my, my dissertation was, which I'd started, is about progressive metal. So it's oh. like stuff that I know cold and I'm absolutely passionate about. I just right. don't really have the time for it. Right. And you're not doing the dissertation, bringing it back to the new music festival because yeah. you're busy with that. That's coming up this Friday. Yeah. So if my math is correct, tw- uh, 2016 was your first year. This is your fourth year. This is my fourth year. That's right. Fantastic. Yeah. And what are you most excited for? You just pick one. Pick a favorite. Pick you a have favorite. to. Pick a favorite. Oh. It's like picking the favorite kid, that's, right? That's You've worked, you worked years on this. And you know what? I don't have a kid, so I'm heartless. I don't care. Pick yeah. your favorite. <laughs> I don't know how it feels. <laughs> Personally, I'm uh, most excited for Tigran Hamasian's concert on the Thursday night concert uh, because I haven't seen him live. I mean, I've seen videos. I know the albums, but I haven't gotten a sense of what that would be live and in the context of a new music festival that's you know contemporary classical music which isn't his usual genre that he operates in so yeah we'll go with that awesome well thank you so much for stopping by Harry oh it's been my pleasure guys we're excited to check out the festival and thank thank you for for cutting cutting deep deep with us on Papercut Podcast Podcast. Thanks. thanks